All right. Uh, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Major Mondays webinar series for April 2021. Uh, Follow-up to last month's Section 29 webinar, we're going to be looking at Section 40 in New Jersey today. Uh, and we're going to be getting into the nitty-gritty of it and uh, really sort of diving in. So, as usual, this is a live question and answer session. So, you can see where the box is on the right. Uh, you can submit your questions, and at the end of the webinar, we'll check them out and uh, see if anyone has any questions. So let's go over the basics just to start with Section 40 here. So we're asking the same essential question. Uh, Third-party action is someone else to blame for the accident. The way to be thinking about this is always no double recovery. That's what the statute is designed to prevent. That's what we're going to argue every time we get to a settlement. That's what we're going to argue at every mediation, arbitration designed to prevent a double recovery. Uh, we get three distinct rights under Section 40. Number one, a lien uh, and reimbursement. Number two, an extinguishment of future liability. And number three, subrogation. Um, now, unlike with Section 29 in New York, which is self-executing, this does require service of proper notice. We're gonna get into that in a little bit. Um, our consent isn't necessary, but I gotta be very clear about one small thing here. A third, a third, a third is nowhere in the law. And when you have a third party plaintiff's attorney telling you you need to accept a third of your total um, reimbursement amount or accept a third of the settlement rather, um, that is completely made up. That has no statutory basis. And if your lien is greater than that one third, you should not be accepting the one third. All right, so let's talk for a second about what exactly is subject to a lien. Uh, so for it's going to be all temporary and permanent disability uh, and medical as defined in Section 15 of the New Jersey Workers' Comp Law, uh, necessary to cure and relieve the petitioner's injuries. Uh, so disability and medical under Section 15. Um, what does this boil down to? Just think in your head, med, temp, and perm. That's going to be our Section 40 um, reimbursement. Uh, IMEs, IME fees, court costs, legal expenses, things such of that nature are not subject to a lien. A um, little bit of a special one here. Rehab nurses, maybe, um, but you're going to have to demonstrate that the benefit was for um, the petitioner primarily, uh, not just to, you know, reduce our costs or control treatment or something like that. No lien on funeral expenses. Um, Payments in non-compensable cases are still subject to Section 40. Uh, so even if the cases uh, ultimately determine the carrier is not liable, we still have Section 40 lien rights on anything we paid. Um, there's no lien on Section 20 payments, but uh, there's a case, Cali versus Hitachi Power Tools. Uh, it's an unreported appellate division decision from 2011. Uh, it's rather interesting. It says that the parties can contractually agree to reimburse the uh, Section 40 lien on the Section 20 payment. Uh, and basically the way the court went on that um, was that this was a settlement agreement that was negotiated as a material part of the settlement. Uh, the petitioner agreed contractually to reimburse it. They can't back out of it now. It's not a statutory right in this case, it's contractual. So um, in a Section 20 payment, if the third party action is ongoing, it is always a good idea if the adversary will go for it to try to negotiate uh, inclusion of Section 40 rights on the Section 20 payment. Um, no Section 40 rights on an additional amputation award under uh, Section 34 colon 15-1221. 
Um, that is actually a relatively recent change, but just something to keep in mind. All right, now this is a little different than what is lienable. This is, in terms of the third party action, what might be subject to a lien. Yes, to legal and medical malpractice. Yes, to UM and UIM claims, underinsured motorists, uninsured motorists. Uh, Frazier versus NJM, one of my uh, favorite cases of all time. Um, carrier is reimbursed whether or not uh, the petitioner is fully compensated, uh, and you get recovery from a tortfeasor or quote-unquote functionally equivalent source. This is ultimately where the UM and UIM recoveries uh, start coming from in later cases. Uh, it's explicitly mentioned in the Fraser case as well. Uh, but if you have a third-party plaintiff's attorney trying to argue the quote-unquote made whole doctrine, um, that's not a thing pursuant to the Fraser decision, and considering that was 1995, they should probably know better by now. Um, yes, uh, you have a uh, recovery on uh, receivership of an insolvent insurer, so an insurer that goes into liquidation, bankrupt, et cetera, um, but not on the balance paid by the New Jersey Guarantee Association, um, but there's no uh, lien reduction when there are multiple insurers involved. And what do I mean by that? Um, say you have a third party settlement where there's multiple insurers and then the guarantee association is also trying to chip something in um, the petitioner doesn't get to reduce your reimbursement by the percentage being paid by the guarantee association in that case um, no lien on title 59 claims uh, no on per quad claims unless it's gamesmanship uh, per quad claim is something that belongs to the spouse uh, think like a loss of consortium kind of thing but you can't do nonsensical allocations to per quad and try and get away with the section 40 lien. So that's what I mean with, unless it's gamesmanship, the court's never gonna let you get away with that. Um, yes to a lien on dependency benefits in a wrongful death recovery, but an employee's third party recovery while they're alive is not a recovery in favor of their dependents. So you can't have a uh, employee that's still living get a third party settlement, then they pass away, then there's dependency benefits being paid under COP. You can't carry that third party settlement forward. The inverse, however, is you can assert a lien on payments made for lifetime or a uh, survival claim to the extent of payments made to the decedent while they were alive. Um, yes, on suits for intentional wrongs, uh, so sometimes known as uh, laid low claims in New Jersey, um, that you would have a lien on that amount actually being paid by your own insured. Uh, and yes, on pain and suffering. Uh, so even if it's non-economic damages claimed in the third party action, yes, you have a lien. So I mentioned earlier, service of proper notice is required. Uh, we're gonna take a look at section 40D here. So we're entitled to reimbursement by law. If you didn't serve the notice and you always should, um, if you didn't serve the notice, you can still argue that you're entitled to reimbursement regardless. Um, but section 40D is necessary to perfect your rights. And subsection D specifies what you have to advise the defendants and carriers of. And uh, take note of that. This is not service of notice on the petitioner's attorney or on the third party attorney uh, or on the plaintiff themselves. It is the defendants, the liable tortfeasor or their carrier. That is who gets hit with the section 40D notice. It's gotta be via certified mail return receipt requested. Uh, and it needs to include the language under the statute. You need to advise them of their obligations, which means uh, they have to inquire as to the extent of the lien at the time of the settlement, and they have to inquire as to the third-party plaintiff's attorney's uh, fees and costs. Uh, and then what this does is it creates an obligation to reimburse our lien before paying anything to the petitioner. 
So what does that give us? Leverage. Uh, it's our money, essentially. And uh, it's we're not getting a gift from the petitioner from their settlement. They're getting a gift from us if they get anything. So uh, it is always a good idea to still send your lien demand notices, however, and that should go to everybody. All right, the reimbursement calculation. It is blessedly simple as compared to Section 29. Uh, it is a maximum one-third reduction for attorney fees and $750 maximum, again, uh, reduction for costs. The reason why I'm stressing maximum over and over, uh, if their attorney fee uh, retainer agreement says that they only get 25% on contingency, you don't get a third taken off of your lien. You get 25% taken off. If their court costs are $200, uh, you don't get 750 taken off, you get $200 taken off. So always get the fee arrangement and closing statement uh, when you're dealing with consenting to getting a settlement back from the third party action. Uh, how does it work practically in terms of math? The third comes off your lien first, so take off one third of your total lien, then take out the 750. Um, note that these are the only required reductions to your lien. Again, a third, a third, a third is never a thing. Uh, something I just want you to pay attention to in very, very high value cases. Um, you got to take a look at um, rule 1 colon 21-7C. Uh, it has a step down or sometimes called a sliding scale uh, fee arrangement where the maximum attorney's fee starts to drop in terms of percentages uh, in higher value settlements. So uh, you do want to take a look at that. Uh, there's a current split of authority on it. Um, say the attorney fee gets reduced you know, it's dropping down a number of percentages based on the total amount paid under Rule 1, colon 21-7C. Um, the way it is currently, thanks to the Appellate Division decision in 2019, Liberty Mutual Insurance versus Rodriguez, you would average the fee. So it actually works out pretty easily. What is the total fee? What is the total settlement? Divide the first by the second. That is the reduction to your lien. And in a very high value case, we're talking like a $5 million third-party settlement. Um, you should not be having a third lopped off of your lien. That's just something to keep in mind. All right, future liability for workers' compensation. Thus far, Section 40 has been somewhat kinder to us than Section 29 in New York. Here's where it gets a little hairy because it has to. Um, so Section 40B talks about a release from future liability in the event that the third-party recovery is greater than what we've paid in comp. Uh, we're responsible for one-third of benefits until the petitioner's net settlement is offset. So what they get away with after our Section 40 reimbursement, after the attorney's fees, after the court costs, uh, et cetera. Um, so how does this work in terms of medical treatment? So there's a case um, that'll explain it pretty well, uh, Rivera versus Metropolitan Maintenance Co., Pellet Division decision from 1984. Uh, Practically, the way it ends up working is that the petitioner ends up paying for the medical fees, and then you're liable to uh, reimburse at the usual and customary rate. Um, most law judges are not going to be okay with um, you telling the petitioner you got to pay out of pocket. So uh, ultimately, it might just be us calling up the medical provider saying, here's one third of the total amount, get the rest from the petitioner. Um, but, you know, six in one hand, half dozen in the other. Uh, we're responsible for reimbursing the petitioner ultimately one-third of the medical treatment. Uh, so indemnity. In the case of awards, we're talking uh, Section 22 OAS here. This is where it can, can get a little complicated. Um, there's this nasty case, Owens versus CNR Waste Material, uh, from the Supreme Court in 1978. It says we're required to accelerate um, our uh, responsibility of attorney's fees 
in total disability cases. So what does this mean? You can't pay one third going forward when a permanent total disability award is entered. You can't pay that one third weekly. Uh, you also can't discount it for uh, present value. It is one third of the total permanent disability award is now payable to the petitioner up front, but then you don't pay anything. Um, at least until uh, assuming there's no awards after the permanent total disability. Um, you can fund this with a lien waiver. So uh, if you have a permanent disability case uh, and you also have, um, you have a third party action that's uh, resolving uh, and you're entitled to a reimbursement, you don't have to pay always uh, the fresh money up front with the attorney's fees. You can fund it with what you would be entitled to in reimbursement from the third party settlement. So just something to keep in mind to avoid paying fresh money into the case. Um, and another way you'll see these uh, credits work is just applying them against the OAS, the Order Approving Settlement, the Section 22. Um, it gets applied against the balance of the total award, and then Petitioner's Council is entitled to a fee on the remainder of the award. All right, subrogation under Section 40F, uh, one of our biggest and best weapons, and I encourage you to use it. Uh, subrogation is ripe one year after the date of loss. Uh, what is the required notice? Uh, well, they, we have to give them 10 days to file suit or compromise their third party case. Uh, we have to send a 10 day written demand to the petitioner. Uh, just note there's a case, Poets versus Mix, that says the petitioner can waive this. So if you got less than 10 days before the statute of limitations uh, and you can get the guy personally served and get him to sign off on a waiver, go for it. Um, that's gonna stand up in court. Uh, the 40F notice is almost always worth serving immediately when ripe. Why? Uh, when you get to that one year mark. Well, they have a two year statute of limitations for personal injury in New Jersey. Uh, no carrier on earth wants to sit around and wait until you, you know one day before the two year mark to get their money back. When you serve this 40F notice, it can light a fire under the third party attorney to start filing that case, start negotiating that settlement. And then we don't sit around and wait for them to do something. Number two is it creates leverage. Um, when you get to the point of settling the case, um, you can, if third party counsel tries to tell you a third or third or third, well, your response is, no, I served you with the section 40F notice. So uh, either you pay me what I'm entitled to in reimbursement, or I'm just gonna go settle with the adverse carrier and they're gonna pay me less than what they're paying you anyway. Uh, and that's a solid amount of leverage. So uh, I encourage you to weaponize section 40F. Um, now, it's a shame this decision is unreported because it's very, very helpful. Um, I, I recommend reading through it anyway. Uh, Pellet Division decision from 2015, El Halu versus Lipinski Outdoor Services. Uh, this is great. It says what our obligation is once we've served the Section 40F notice. Um, spoiler alert, the answer is absolutely nothing. We don't need the petitioner to consent to settle. Uh, it actually cuts off their right to participate in the settlement or file suit. Um, the petitioner's right of recovery is limited only to what is in excess of the lien, so they don't really have any stake in the outcome unless we're getting back more than what we're entitled to be reimbursed. Uh, there is no attorney-client relationship created with the petitioner. Yes, we're filing as their subrogate. Yes, the action is technically in their name. Um, no, we have no ethical obligation to them. Um, it is a bar to the petitioner's own action. Again, this is your leverage. Uh, once I settle with that third-party carrier, you're not getting anything. Um, and there's no notice requirement beyond the 10-day notice. You don't need their approval to settle the case. Just once you've served the 40F notice and perfected your rights, that's the only thing the legislature requires you to do. 
So the last thing we're gonna to touch on here is New Jersey's verbal threshold. Uh, there is a prior um, Major Mondays webinar on this uh, from back in 2020, goes into it a little more in depth. Um, that one came out, well, that webinar was published before the Supreme Court ended up affirming this lovely decision in May 2020. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, the verbal threshold comes from the Automobile Insurance Cost Reduction Act. We'll just call it AGRA for short. Uh, and the way it works is the petitioner's own policy, the policy that they carry, can bar a suit for non-economic damages, remember that's like pain and suffering, unless they have one of six qualifying injuries, um, death, dismemberment, displaced fracture, loss of a fetus, et cetera. Um, so what's the interaction between ACRA and Section 40? Uh, well, the carrier is entitled to reimbursement from the tortfeasors, even though the employee would not be able to recover medical expenses and wage loss from his own automobile insurer or non-economic damages from the tortfeasors. Uh, and then there's this evolution of cases going across the appellate division and then ultimately to the Supreme Court, starting with Continental Insurance Co. versus McClellan back in 1996, Patterson versus Adventure Trails, 2003, Tomage versus Byrne, uh, 2016, Lambert versus Travelers Indemnity Co. in uh, 2016, and it culminates in New Jersey Transit Corp. ASO Mercogliano, uh, Sobrigui of Mercogliano versus Sanchez. This is an appellate division decision from 2018, and it is a glorious thing for carriers. It essentially says that Section 40 is distinct from ACRA. Uh, we have our own subrogation rights um, that are not bound by what the Automobile Insurance Cost Reduction Act says. So this means we can actually subrogate in cases where the petitioner's own claim would be barred by the verbal threshold. Now you can't go crazy with it. It's only for compensation paid to the um, paid to the petitioner. So think again, med, temp, and perm. That's what you're going to be able to recover. But if you have one of these little soft tissue injuries, where normally you know uh, your third-party attorney says oh, verbal threshold, there's no recovery on this one. You've paid maybe ten thousand dollars. They don't see a fee in it for them. They think the case is going to get dismissed. It's worth you filing anyway, because you can get away with it, thanks to this uh, lovely little decision. It was a split decision from the New Jersey Supreme Court, but guess what, that means an affirmance. So uh, that one still stands and it's very, very useful. Uh, that does it, uh, except for the expert tips portion. Uh, this is just, you know, next level 201 stuff for you guys getting your maximum reimbursement. Investigate the subrogation potential at the outset. Find out who those third-party tortfeasors are. Don't settle for a third, a third, a third. That's the third time I've mentioned it during the webinar and I can't stress it enough. Uh, you're not obligated to take that. Get an itemized closing statement. You wanna know what those costs and disbursements are. If they tell you they have 750, I wanna see how they got to 750. Is that paying for filing the complaint? Is that, is that a transcript fee, court reporter, what is it? Uh, get the fee arrangement. Remember, we had that Rule 1-21-7C issue with the step-down fees in higher value cases. Know what the net is to the petitioner because that's your future uh, credit and offset. Serve that Section 40D notice with the required language properly, uh, which certified mail return receipt requested on the defendants or their carriers. Keep all parties apprised of the lien throughout the third party action. Uh, keep an eye out for the possibility of a global settlement. We've said this uh, across multiple webinars at Lois Law Firm. It is your single best way to cut down your exposure sooner. Um, so look for a chance to maybe waive your Section 40 lien to get rid of the comp case. Um, closely monitor the third-party action. Sometimes you can even pull discovery from the electronic docket 
and use it to impeach the petitioner and the workers' comp claim. Sometimes the depositions and the testimony don't really line up. Uh, and be prepared to intervene in the third-party action if necessary, if someone tries to quash your lien or something like that. Make sure you properly calculate and apply your offset rights uh, and reserve Section 40 rights on Section 20 settlements uh, as a material term of the negotiated settlement agreement so you can get a reimbursement right on it. All right, let's check if we have any questions before we part until next month. Oops, I think I opened up attendees and not questions. Nope, we're good on questions. All right, well, uh, thank you everyone for joining and uh, I hope we'll see you next month.